This is Radiance Tape Number JD125, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, Becoming a Giver. What I minister about this message should put you in the best of possible good moods. But sometimes because of our perverted ideas about money, our perverted ideas about the emotional nature, emotional quality that has worked in us because of our understanding about money, we have twisted ideas about it. We're afraid to talk about it. We don't wish to hear about it. And especially when we get to the subject of giving, we say, oh, we shouldn't talk that way because it offends people. In fact, it should never offend the people of God. It should be a subject that they are very interested in and highly motivated because of the promises that God gives concerning the subject of money. The point is that we are to be free both of the fear and the domination of money. We're to have neither love for it nor fear of it. It is merely to be understood as a tool which we understand how to generate it, make it, save it, invest it, cause it to grow, and above all things, give it wisely to build the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, in part of its work, is financed on this earth by money, propagated partly by money. Takes money to print tracts, Bibles. Takes money to support the people of God. Takes money to build buildings. Sometimes those are necessary in the advancement of the kingdom. Sometimes there are ways around it. I think we have at times spent far too much money on buildings. That's a mistake, but we have to learn how to do that in judgment. But the idea of buildings, there's a place for them. And certainly God demonstrated in the Old Testament there's a place for building, both in the building of the tabernacle and the temple. They were places of great beauty and even extravagance, if we wish to put it that way. And yet the people of Israel were not in poverty as a result of these things, but they were mightily blessed as a result of their understanding that God gave them in relationship to money. Okay, now, come to the New Testament. There are certain considerations that have to be looked at there, and I'll discuss those in their proper place. Now, as quickly as I can, therefore, I wish to give you a recap of the points that I made last week. Now, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, because I want your hearts to be tuned into what I'm saying. Believe me, our own natures, which are being worked out of our flesh and mind, resist what the Word of God has to say on this point, as it does everything that God has to say on any point, but especially this one. There are certain things that are very critical, and this is one of them. Number two, many of God's people are suffering poverty, sorrow, and heartache, because they do not understand the principle of a tremendously generous heart. So I'm going to pray that your hearts be tuned into what I have to say. I want you to check it with the Word of God, although I'm going to read carefully to make sure that you get it as we go along. Heavenly Father, I pray now this morning, especially again, because I know the nature of this subject and I know that Satan, knowing that some people somewhere would be converted to God, has been very careful to inculcate in the mind of the entire world a totally wrong attitude toward money. He's either placed in our hearts an untoward greed, an idolatrous attitude toward money, or he's placed in our heart fear of being without it so that we would starve. And so therefore, it actually turns itself into greed. You've shown us that from your word, Father. So I pray that this morning the people of God are able to cut through all of that 
area of our minds which are trained wrong, and our minds now become renewed and transformed through the Word of God being applied to our minds, that we may prove what is that good and perfect will of God for our lives. Grant that, Father. I ask this for the people's sake. We ask it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a recapitulation of these points. One, you remember, we founded the entire message on the basic moral law of God as the basis for all giving and receiving. Now, here's this moral law. We are to love God with our whole being and our neighbors as ourselves. Paul said later that the whole law was summed up in this, and every other commandment was comprehended in this one thing. This law, in turn, is based in the truth that God is love. All right, now, do you have that principle down? We are to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the basic moral law of God, and it, in turn, is established and founded in the truth that God himself is love. See, many things God has, many things God can do, few things God is, and those are his innate, inherent attributes. He is love. Now, love is followed by liberal giving, and the great example we have is that which God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, what did he give? He gave everything that he had. He gave his only begotten son. He held nothing back. And the Bible says, now that he has given us his son, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? See, there is nothing now that he holds back. The greater includes all of the possibilities of the lesser. Third point, what to give, to whom to give, why to give, or nothing about giving is left to chance. It is revealed in Scripture, and therefore the same for all and binding upon all. It is not like, well, God just tells me what to give and what not to give. He leaves nothing so important to the possibilities of a mind not yet fully renewed or transformed. And we think out of this not yet fully renewed or transformed mind that God's going to leave it to us to kind of dream up what to give. No, it is clearly revealed in Scripture what, when, how, where, who, everything about giving in great detail so that we are not in the dark about this most important subject. We must be made free of covetousness. It is a dangerous, hellish attitude. The Bible says covetousness is idolatry. Faith. All right, now keep in mind, they must be made free of those things. Now there are three kinds of giving. Giving with the expectation of receiving from the person who is the main object of your giving. Business would be a typical example of that. Or, in many cases, certain types of giving like family giving. I give a birthday gift to my sister. Hello, sis, happy birthday. My birthday comes around, she gives a birthday gift to me. I fully expect to receive in kind. Christmas giving, much of it is exactly this kind of giving, even with a vengeance. Someone will give a gift worth $30, they get a gift worth $20. The person who gets a gift worth $20 when they gave one thirty, angry. Why? They only gave me a gift worth 20 and I gave them a gift worth 30 It's the last time I'll ever... Terrible. But there are certain kinds of giving with the object of receiving that are perfectly right and good. And part of it is that social giving... I give you a meal, you give me a meal. I invite you over to my house, you invite me over to your house. I give a service, you give me money. Or I give you a service, you give me a service. Perfectly proper. We 
pass by that one, explained it simply. The second kind of giving, and the one we are primarily dealing with here today, is giving to honor God directly. Now, it is not giving with the expectation of receiving something back immediately or even directly. We know from the promises of Scripture that it will come back to us in very many unique and wonderful ways. Blessed, moved, and all kinds of wonderful things will happen as a result of it. But we do not get it back directly, and it is given primarily with a concept and heart of honoring God. We honor God with the first fruits of all our increase. So whatever God gives us, we honor God by that. We take a percentage which is spoken of in Scripture. These are called tithes and offerings. Tithes being one-tenth of everything that we receive, offerings above and beyond that. Third type of giving is giving to the poor, and there is no expectation of return from that party at all under any circumstances. You simply give, and the Bible speaks about in the Old Testament, it says you shall not withhold your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open wide to him your hand and give to him that is poor. Point five, tithing was practiced before the law, so therefore it was a revelation before that time. It was incorporated and explained in the law, that is, extended. It was reaffirmed by Jesus, spoken of by the apostles in a good sense. And then I give you my own personal testimony that when I did not tithe, I had an extremely difficult time financially and more particularly spiritually. I did not achieve to or reach to those things that God had for my life. When I began to tithe in a systematic way and an attitudinal change, that I did not say, here's my money, okay, Daisy, here's the money, I'm giving it over to you, go pay the bills, go buy the food, go get the groceries, and in addition, pay the tithes. The attitudinal change was, here is our money, pay the tithe. Set aside some money for an offering, now, food, clothing, shelter, see, attitudinal change. Honor God with the first fruits. Not even though I intended to pay a tenth, but not food, clothes, shelter, and tithes. No, no. Tithes, offerings, food, clothes, shelter. Now, there's a principle here that men have to get over to see that God has given to God. See, God has given honor. First principle. Utilize the principle. It'll transform your thinking, your life. See, it's designed to transform your mind. Because our mind doesn't think that way. Our mind says, here's my money and now my needs and my problems and my... It's to get you free of fear. It's to say, here's money that God has given me. Thank you, Lord. I honor you. I am free of fear. You will take care of me. God says, prove me now. See, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you, shall be no room to receive it. I'll rebuke the devourer, I'll hold back, I will bless you on every hand. See? Okay. Last week we established the principle of tithing and offering to God. We showed what tithing was, I'll repeat this, one-tenth of all your increase. It included not only money, but the increase of the land, the firstborn of all animals, and the increase thereof. It was clearly established that God required the first fruits. This means it takes on the form of a true offering to God. Not tithing and giving offerings was simply stated to be, and I read it in Malachi, if a person did not tithe, did not give offerings, what was it called? Called robbing God. Just simply. You robbed me, he said. 
Oh, I don't see that. I, I didn't take anything from you. Yes, you did. He said, I gave you everything. You gave me nothing. Pay me what you owe me. See? Now, therefore, there's only two classes of people that exist in the kingdom of God. And hopefully there would only be one class. There are those who tithe or those who rob. Clear principle stated in Scripture. See, I used to be a robber. Flat out, premeditated robber. And you know what happened in my life? Flat out, premeditated by God, trouble. <laughs> then one day I came around and said, this is what God's Word says. Now I don't have much in finances, it's always been hard, it's been this, it's been that, all my reasons. But I am now going to believe God. I am going to tithe and it's going to be the first fruits and it's going to be... No, I don't mean it. I start tithing and boom, terrific prosperity. God. Oh, no, no. When you start to walk in God's ways, there's a testing time. See? Like a man came to me years ago and he put $10 in the offering plate. And uh, that week he went out and he bought an old junk car and made $100. He said, that's the most fantastic thing I ever heard of. He said, I put $10 in, I get $100 back. He said, here's $20, I'm going to get $200. I said, it isn't going to work that way. It isn't going to work that way. Because that's not God's point. God's point is to teach you a lesson that of whatever He gives you at any point, you honor Him with the first fruits of the increase. So, and next week He didn't come back. He said, I'm not paying tithes anymore. It didn't work. Well, it's got nothing to do with working. You see, that's what I mean. There's not direct receiving. Here, God, give me. Here's your money. Give me. Well, what kind of giving is that? I give God one tenth, I get back nine tenths. There's nothing like that taught in Scripture. The Bible says that God will supply our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He meets my needs, I honor Him. Well, what you get out of it? What I got out of it is the opportunity to honor God. Hallelujah. What I got out of it is the opportunity to obey His Word. What I got out of it is the opportunity to build a house on the rock. To build a character into my life. Jesus said, He that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house in the stream, but it could not overthrow it, for it was founded on the rock. So I've learned to do what God tells me to do in this area of money. And I'm not in any kind of privation with money. I want God's people to be abundantly prosperous. I do not want you to come. See, many times this is a foolish thing that happens to people. They get away with it for 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years of not doing the things that God commands. And they do not understand, like my grandmother told me years ago, that the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. Many people in their later years are faced with fear and privation in their old age. That is the reason why that takes place is one of two reasons. One, the church is not prosperous where it should be to take care of those that are in poverty within our own ranks so that there should be no person suffering any kind of privation. Or number two, and in many cases true, and you must determine it for yourself, if you yourself are not laying a sound foundation in God, then the evil days may come and you look forward to years of fear and pride because you have not gotten over that fear of lack.
So you've not gotten to the place where you say, thank God I've come to that place where an abundance just keeps pouring out. Now it is my duty in God to lay the foundations into your heart by which you will live your entire life on this earth and you will be delivered of fear, you'll be delivered of greed, you'll be delivered of idolatry, you'll be delivered of everything that is in the way of sound walking in God. I want your character established on the rock that you've heard the sayings of Jesus and you do them at all costs. All right. Now, what was the earthly object of this giving called tithing? The earthly object. So you know the heavenly object that we were to honor God. Now, what is the earthly object? Because you don't take money and you don't throw it on an offering pit and you burn it and somehow it all goes up in gold fumes or paper burns up or something like that. And you say, here's an offering to God. It was given to God as an honor to him, but there was an earthly object toward which it flowed. Now, let's see what the earthly object was. In Abraham's case, he gave the tithe to Melchizedek. Now, many think Melchizedek was Jesus, and perhaps this is true. I tend to believe something along that order. But no one could say with certainty. They could only say, I believe that this is what they could not say with certainty. They could come up with some ideas, try and demonstrate the point. But one thing is abundantly clear. What the Word of God does state that Melchizedek, who he was, states he was priest of the Most High God. And Abraham looked at him that way and brought to him tithes of all and gave it to him as an offering. Said, here, this is for you. This is for your support. This is for you to take care of yourself. This is a gift to you. And did not, after he gave it to him, said, I want a record and a report of what you did with it, too. That is not a proper thing any more than it would be a proper thing if I work for somebody a week and I've earned $200 or $300 or $100 or whatever. And he said, here, I give this to you and I want a record of what you did with it, too. If it has been given, it has been given. It has been earned, it has been earned, and there it is. That's a principle to get established. A lot of times people give, but they don't give. Or they yield, but they don't yield. Must learn to get out of that. So you say, here. Now there's a kind of giving, which is directed giving. If I say, I am giving this for the building of a house, and I'd like to have part of that. But that's offerings, not tithing. Tithing is very clear instructions of what to do and how to do it and who it's for and why it's for. All right. So perhaps so, but since very much doubt exists today, very likely Abraham did not know either. He gave to the priest of God for support. It honored God, but it supported a man. Clearly, honored God, supported a man. That was the point. Now in the Old Testament, that is the Mosaic portion of the Old Testament, the tithe also supported men. Once again, he said, you give it to me, but it supported men. And those men were Levites and priests. I wish to give you some scriptures now. And we will begin to take a look at those points. Take your Bibles, please, and open them if you'd like to. In turn, we numbers the 18th chapter. And we'll read verse 24. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Now, we will see in the New Testament a very similar principle exists. The tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes, excluding Levi, were given portions in all the land of Israel. This portion, this portion, this portion. They were given lands and houses and things upon which they had bestowed no particular labor, although they were come in, maintain it, and take care of it. But to the Levites, and that include the high priest, no inheritance of that sort. They did have certain cities which were granted to them, but none of the vast acreages and lands. These were given to the Israelites themselves, excluding the Levites, the high priest, his sons, 
were given to them as an inheritance, but not to the sons of Levi. They were set aside for a specific purpose, and that was to serve God in a unique way. Now, all of Israel was to serve God. There's no question about that. And they were all priests in the house of God, in that general sense. But these men were set aside for a specific function as priests, unique, special, to do a certain work. All right. Now, they had no inheritance, but the tithe of the people of Israel to whom an inheritance had been given, and therefore they were able to prosper mightily. Many of them went on to become multi, we would say millionaires today. I don't know, something in their own multi-shekel heirs and something uh, in ancient Israel or something. But in any event, they become very wealthy. Their barns were filled and they overflowed and they were rich beyond dreams. And God said, I'll make you the head and not the tail. So what if you do these things? And they did them. And many of them prospered greatly. But the children of Israel had set aside by God the Levites who were not allowed to function in the way they could function in the monetary sense, and they therefore had to have a means of support. Now, the means of support was all of the people of Israel were to take from the first fruits of their increase, all of that increase in abundance which God would bless them with, and they would give a tithe, and the tithe then came to the Levites for their support. The Levites, in turn, paid tithe of all that they received, and this was for the support of the high priest. So each had their proper place in God and were taken care of. Now, I say this has a New Testament counterpart, a little bit different, but not much. Same principle. See, method, don't ever get confused with method and try and stick the Old Testament method into the new. But do see the principle and then bring the principle into the new and see how it applies. Okay. That was verse 24. Verse 25, Then the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you have taken from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord. Now notice again the principle. See? The Israelites were tithing to the Lord, but it went to men. Now he says to the Levites who received the tithe, You give an offering to the Lord a tithe. But where did it go? Once again, to men. All right. I have given you from them for your inheritance, and you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel, and from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Now, do you see how... Carefully, this was to flow. All laid out carefully, see? All right. Now, if you'll turn with me also to Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 8. The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion. That is that which would have gone to God. And they shall have no inheritance among their countrymen, the Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. Now this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, either an ox or a sheep, of which they shall give to the priest the shoulder, two cheeks, and the stomach. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the first shearing of your sheep. Now notice the word here. What is the dominant word? You shall give what? First. All right. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and serve in the name of the Lord forever. Now, 
putting a scripture in here to understand something more particularly, the Bible says, No man takes this honor to himself, save he to whom it is given, as was Aaron. Now the principle is that certain men are called by God to do a work. They do not choose to do the work. They might choose to do it. One man might get there and say, Oh, Lord, please, let me be an apostle. Never be an apostle. Oh, Lord, let me be a pastor. Never be a pastor. Oh, Lord, let me be an elder. Never be an elder. The final choosing is of God. No man can intrude into that office, and once he is called by God, he best not refuse to do that which God has commanded him to do. If you're called, go to the work. If you are not called, you cannot intrude and dare not intrude into that office. So these men were chosen by God to do this work. Did not mean they were the best men. Did not mean they were the greatest possible examples of piety and humility. I'm sure among every other tribe there were marvelous examples of piety and humility and wonder and beauty as far as serving God. But we're not talking about examples of piety, humility, and service to God. We're talking about whether a man is called to serve in an office or not. And if he is, he is restricted by that office from doing certain things. For instance, in the New Testament, we'll get to it, but I'll plant the principle now so you see it applies here. He told Timothy, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who chose him to be a soldier. See, there's certain men that are required by God to be hammering out on the very edge of the battle. Now that's there. Now back here are new babes and lambs and sheep that are yet growing in the Lord. They're not out there in the middle of the battle. They couldn't stand it. But certain men are set by God out there in the forefront. Paul said, therefore I strive always to preach him where he has never been preached before. Pushing outward to those places where he has not been named. See, we do not build on other men's foundations. And that's the nature of this work. We have not built on other men's foundations. We have reached people off the streets and the highways and byways. We have compelled them to come in. And that is the inheritance which we present to God. Now, same principle here. Now, if a Levite comes from any of your towns throughout Israel where he resides and comes, whenever he desires to the place which the Lord chooses, then he shall serve in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand there before the Lord, they shall eat equal portions except what they received from the sale of their father's estates. And it's an interesting thing. They were allowed to purchase out of that which God had given them. They were allowed to purchase land. And they could sell that land like any other person. But they were given no inheritance. But they could own land. They could sell it and so forth if God prospered them to that extent. Now I could read other things here, but I'm just going to give you the words and you can look them up for yourself. Deuteronomy 26, 11 to 13 probably speaks of a second tithe. Some scholars believe there was three tithes. I'm not sure about the third tithe. Very likely the second tithe. It seems to be very clear. All right, now turn with me to Nehemiah, the 10th chapter, verse 35 to 39. Now, here again, same principle. The children of Israel had sinned and gone away from the teaching of the Lord. Nehemiah was restoring God's order. Now notice one of the important things that he restores, verse 35 of the 10th chapter. And in order that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually, and bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written in the law, for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. Now, they clearly understood, Nehemiah understood, what that tithe was for. It was not even to build the house of God. Offerings were used to build the house of God. When they needed mirrors for the labor, they said to the women, bring us an offering of your looking glasses. 
Now, I know, you know, a looking glass today would be a very minor thing. Go down to the 10-cent store and buy one for a dollar, 98 cents or whatever. In those days, a looking glass, a very, very expensive thing. And they brought in their looking glasses and gave them. They brought their gold, their silver, their earrings, their jewelry, their bracelet here for the house of the Lord. Build it. See? But the tithes were for the support of the priesthood. We will also bring the first of our dole, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests of the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithe in all the rural towns. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Now look at chapter 12. In verses 44 through 47. On that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather them from the fields, the cities, the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served. And that ought to be the attitude toward tithing and giving. What should be the attitude? Rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served. See, it is like, oh, wow. Have to support somebody now. No, 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 no. It should be rejoice over that opportunity, for these are unique servants of the Lord, called to minister to you in a particular way. For they perform the worship of their God in the service of purification, together with the singers and the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph in ancient time, they were leaders of singers, songs of praise, and hymns and thanksgiving to God. And so all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave portions to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. I tell you, when we finally understand the principle of this, we're going to see that there will be able to be set aside not only those who preach the word, but we're going to be able to set aside those who are designed by God, sweet psalmists in the house of God, to sing songs and play and minister before God, and that will be their work. And men and women who have ministries of prayer, that they have those unique and powerful qualities of prayer that can pray for eight, nine, ten hours a time, 30, 40 days in a row, that type of person. A man given to fasting, a woman given to fasting and prayer, that type of ministry. See, there is coming... A financing of the kingdom of God as God's people understand the principles of liberality and the principles of prosperity that will set in motion a praising and worshiping and ministering that will break apart all the kingdoms of darkness and give tremendous force to the church as it begins to do its work in the earth. But I tell you before God, it is tied in with money. Say, oh no, don't talk to me about that. Oh yes, that's the one thing I must talk to you about. See, because it's the one thing that the mind oh no, 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 I, I, I don't want to do that release yourself of it, say thank God it's what God says and I'm going to do it I remember years ago a man who has prospered, blessed in the Lord today came to me and one time he argued with these scriptures well the first fruit of all my increase I didn't get a raise and uh, therefore I'm not supposed to pay tithes till I get a raise and then I pay it on my raise and then I said no, no first fruits of your increase if you had a hundred dollars last week and the next week you get another hundred dollars that's increased over what it was last week pay your tithes he saw the principle he said if that's what God says then that's what I'll do and he did that and that young man was right down I mean his car was broken down he was living in a terrible place all kinds of problems 
I want to tell you, I've followed the story of that man through the years, and God has blessed him and blessed him and blessed him and blessed him and blessed him so that every need of his life has been met continually. He understood the principle of obeying God and giving liberty. He's always been a liberal giver, say. Also, another point which I won't read, show you how important God's thinking was, though, toward those who serve the Lord in that capacity, they should be properly handled financially, that even of the spoils of war which the Israelites took, now they didn't often go to war, but sometimes they did, the spoils of war included people, cattle, gold, everything they brought back, a portion of it was to be given to the Levites according to a set formula which God established. See, there's no place that God's people prospered that the Levites did not also prosper with them. Likewise, if God's people suffered during some period of time, the Levites also suffered with them. That's why it's a percentage. That isn't why it says pay to every preacher of God $30,000 a year. There's no principle like pay to... No, it's a percentage. So if God's people are blessed, that percentage increases then to the Levites. Not the percentage, but the results of that percentage cause an increase in dollars. If the people of God go down, then it's up to the Levite to begin to minister in a proper way to them and carry them through that in times of spirit. And he serves just as well, whether he gets much or little, makes no difference. And we'll get that principle in the New Testament. I'm telling you, if a man of God receives nothing, he better give himself to working with his hands and go right on ministering to the people of God. And if not even one of them understand to give him a thing. If he has the call of God, he'll minister to those people because he has the call of God. And not only will he support himself, but he'll support them if he has to, as much as he possibly can. And Paul did. He said, not only have I worked with my hands to support myself, but those who were with me. Because he had that call. But at the same time, he chided the churches that they had not done what they should have done. See, all right, so this principle must be understood as two ways. And it's not that a man of God say, well, the church doesn't support me, so therefore I'm not going to preach. Well, I'll tell you, you've got the call of God. You're going to preach and take care of the people of God if you never get one thing in your whole life, but rather have to turn around and give to them as a result of your own labors. That's a proper thing. Let every man of God hear what I said today. That's very important to understand. All right. Now, Nehemiah 13.10, read, because it's very important to understand Nehemiah's thought process here. After he had reestablished tithing to the Levites, and that money had been brought into the house of God, and so forth and so on. Nehemiah, the 13th chapter, 10th verse. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. See, this man was sent by God to reestablish Israel and build and so forth. He said, I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. In other words, they had to go out and scrub in the ground to make a living. Now, they didn't mind doing that, I don't suppose, although probably some of them grumbled about it. But they went and did what they had to do. They had to support their family. You don't support your own, you're worse than an infidel. So I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And in charge of the storehouses, I pointed Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok the scribe, Pedaiah of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hanan the son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. So he knew the importance of that principle being real. I said, I discovered that the portrait had not, and they've gone now to feel what is happening? Come back here. You bring in those ties. Take care of those people. See, now he said, oh, God, remember me. 
that I have performed this service before you. See, the law, they who do them shall live in them, Old Testament. In addition to this, Second Chronicles 31, 16 to 18, they were pensioned when they became too old to perform their services. Tragedy among many of our full gospel churches that a minister will serve in a place two years, three years, five years, or maybe give 25, 30, 40 years of his life to the ministry, and then he is simply turned out of his last church with the words, thank you, pastor, you've done a good job here, but you're too old. We need a younger man who can now deal with the young people. Goodbye. And many of them have ended up in old folks' homes on welfare and charity, and that is an abomination also to God. These people were cared for. And I tell you, let it be so among us. Not talking about myself, although that certainly is proper, and I'll deal with that in its proper way. You make sure you take good care of me. <laughs> well, it's a joke, but it's not a joke, is it? I've labored for you and cared for you and shared with you and given to you, and I've set an example. Now, if the time comes when in the ordination of God... I can no longer perform my function as a minister. Whatever happens, you take good care of me. And if I precede my wife, you make sure that woman is honored all the days of her life and well provided for. Not turn around and say, well, your husband left you something, so we don't owe you anything at all. She has given to you and labored among you. And I say that of every man and woman of God that labors among you, you make sure they are cared for. And then the result will be God will bless you. Now, in this proper place next week, I'm going to talk about what some will say, well, how about the poor people? Should we really take care of these preachers when the poor... Don't get caught up on that nutty argument. The Word of God is clear here. Now, there's a place, and we're going to deal with abundantly next week, where the poor must be ministered to. I tell you, the poor you have with you always, but the poor we should not have among us always. We should bless them as much as we can, we should show them how to prosper from the Word of God. We should be able to be in a place where we can help them with capital so that if the time comes we see they're ready to go into business or get themselves established or need something to help them, we are able to help them, abundantly able to help them, because we are a prosperous, mightily prosperous people in God. See? Not to, oh, well, we don't ever have any money. We don't ever have any money because we don't practice the teachings of this book. That's why. Now, there might be some other reasons for it if you're under terrible persecution from the government, but we're not under terrible persecution from the government. I can tell you that right now. We've got a good government and a right and rational laws, even though we have contended with them personally over some point. But I tell you, when I look at the government as a whole, oh, there are ungodly men who may be in office from time to time or all the time. Basically, God's word is true. I have put them there for you. And I believe it. I thank God for this country. Say, okay. Now, they were pensioned off, Numbers 35, verses 2 to 8, and 18, 24, and 26, 62, indicates they were housed, they were given whole cities. Deuteronomy 18, 8, 1 Kings 2, 26, they could own land in addition to that. Now let us come to the New Testament times. Turn with me, please, to give you an idea of the right attitude toward money. Luke 16, 9 to 13. Now, here's a proper attitude toward money. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, what does it say to do with money? 
All right, but then after you got some of yourself, do what with it? Use it to make friends. Can you make friends with money? I'm not talking in a bad sense. Can you make friends with money by means of money? Yes, you can. You can help people. You can move them along when they're in a little tight place. You can bless them by gifts. You can say, let's go to dinner together. There's all kinds of ways if you have money, you can bless people and make friends with it. Make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing. Now, here's a principle here by which I have always determined when a man or a woman is ready for the service of God. If a man is not faithful in a little thing, he won't be faithful in a big thing either. Just that simple. You can absolutely test him. See? If you can't trust him with a penny, I'm going to tell you, you sure can't trust him with a million dollars. If you can't trust him with a penny, you sure can't trust him with the gifts of God. If you can't trust him with a penny, you sure cannot trust him with the divine anointing in the office. You cannot do it. He's not ready. He simply has to have that character working in him. And he says he is faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If the pressure, I can't do that. Then the pressure in some big thing will be just as great. You say, I can't do that either. It's a simple principle. Test. Just know what to do. See? So, what are you doing there? Well, this is what I do. Oh, okay. See? Now, that's why I'm ministering on a subject that you overcome in these areas. And if you have not been faithful, therefore, in the use of the unrighteous mammon, 11th verse, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you serve God, you will be a generous, giving person. If you serve mammon, I won't. That's simple. And you either do serve God or you serve mammon. I'm not about to give. Dear Lord, your people, your Levites, your priests, your apostles, the work. Here, Lord, here. God says, open the windows of heaven. Pour out on him a blessing. And here's somebody abundantly blessed and said, Oh, you lucky dog. God always blesses you. I'm going to tell you, this is one boy that don't believe in luck. I believe in cause and effect. I believe there's an intelligent God ruling over an intelligent creation, and he says, walk in my ways and I will bless you. Do not walk in my ways, and you will come to hard times, for the way of the transgressor is H-A-R-D, hard. And uh, for a long time, I said, well, I know what God's word says, but you've got to use wisdom in what you're doing here. Yeah, the wisdom of the world. I did it. And oh, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, oh, God. Oh, hallelujah. I said, God, I'm not going to blame anybody for my troubles anymore. Just me, 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 me. That's why I learned to sing. Say, me, 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 me. I'm going to give you that which belongs to you, God. And I'm going to do my best to do more than that tithe. I'm going to give offerings, Lord. And I ask you just to bless my hands so that I can give ever more to the people of God. I want to be a giver, Lord, not a taker. 
You can't be a giver without being a receiver. But you can be a giver without being a taker, because a taker is an attitude that says, I want it, I'm going to get it, I have the right to. That's a taker. A receiver, he receives and he moves it along. He becomes a channel of God. And the more he becomes a channel of God, the bigger the pipe gets. So finally, man, he can hardly hold the pipe. See, that's what the Bible says. I'll pour you out a blessing. It's not going to be room to receive. <laughs> help, Lord. I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you. Hallelujah. I'd like you to get that look on your face. Come to me and say, Brother Jordan, what do I do? God's blessing me so much, I don't know where to give it all. Come to me. I can help you. <laughs> and I don't mean give to me either. I mean to feel desperate. You know why it's desperate? Because there are millions and millions and millions of God's people that name the name of Christ do not give one thin dime. Inflation's too great. Taxes too great. Expenses too great. Problems too great. You know why those things are too great? Because they don't know how to give. God can bless you so abundantly. The government can tax and the people can meet and the expenses go up and the inflation happens. And God will always have you just the right place at the right time, just like this. He just go on abundantly blessing. That's God's plan. The apostles want a clear principle. By nature of the work, they had no inheritance and they were to be supported. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And I deal with this importantly because we're going to get into a problem sooner or later. Happens in every situation that the apostolic ministries, because of their nature of being pushed further and further away from contact with the people of God. Dick Benjamin, this last time, is up there ministering. Some person get up and said, what if Dick Benjamin is called by God to go to Africa and we see him no more? He's speaking about the elders. When Paul came by, he said, you shall see my face again no more. What if Dick Benjamin, I spoke to you myself, going to Africa, you may see me no more. What then? Then you must be ever more mindful to reach out and support those battlefield ministries. They are prime, merry in the mind of God. They must be supported, see? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 16. Speaking here to the Corinthians, you are already filled, you have already become rich, you have become kings without us. And they were not giving to Paul, very little, most cases nothing. And I would indeed that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. So you say, you're not really kings. You're just keeping that which doesn't belong to you, and you're trading on it, you're making money, but there's a day of reckoning coming. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. See, essentially what they were saying was, Paul, you want to run all over the world? Move five times, it's like a fire. You're throwing away your substance, and we've, uh, we're much smarter than you. We stay in Corinth. We invest our money wisely. We work hard. Uh, we keep all of our funds, and we're building up. We're just wise, Paul. Paul said, are you really? Are you really? See, I thank God that this church has not been this way, but we have sent people for it. We're getting ready to send the team out today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. See, now, I want to tell you that these people, I'm just thinking of them. Their ability to prosper is great. Their ability to work is tremendous, fantastic capacity God has given them. Their ability to think and learn how to invest, no question but what they are able to do that. But they have just built up a good business. 
Some of them just, in addition to building up a business, gone on and learned to trade in addition to that. And just when you get to the place where you could reap continuing benefits, they walk off and give it to someone else and go down to San Francisco and start from scratch. No inheritance. Say, oh man, they must be dumb. No. Dedicated is the word. Sometimes that looks like dumb, but it's not dumb. It's the wisest possible course of action for them, for they are called by God to go and do it. All right. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished. See, they come to places of authority in their community. Because they'd stay there, and people look at them and say, you're a wise man, we put you in office. But we are without honor. To this present time, we are both hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, and homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even unto now. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. I exhort you, therefore, be ye imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now turn with me to the ninth chapter, please. Paul reiterates this principle and extends it, the one from the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? There's a principle here. Saying, well, only Barnabas and Paul, they should have to work. That proves they're real good Christians because they have to work. We want to make them work. No, 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 no. Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time, now here's your principle. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Question. Who? Answer. No one. No army in the world. It's always born at the expense of the whole. See? The whole of a country gets together and by paying taxes, in other words, a contribution, they support the army. And they clothe and house them and give them the weapons of their warfare that they need and say, you're out there fighting a battle. Go out there and do it. We're with you. Who at any time serves a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Unheard of. The man buys a field. He plants a vineyard. What does he expect to do if he does that? Eat the fruit of it. Why, absolutely. See? You're the planting of the Lord. You're the Lord's vineyard. Now, I had a part in planting you. Other men of God around me, and I'll deal with that in a moment, had a part in planting you. Very minor thing the Bible says, if we have sowed you spiritual things, that we should reap some carnal things. Very minor thing. Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? This is the flock of God, the sheep of God's pasture. Watch over that. Here's the milk. Use it, part of it. 
I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? See, here's a, oh, Paul's just reasoning out some human. He says, I'm not speaking according to human judgment, am I? Does not the law say these things also? See, now here he affirms this part. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking all together for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Now, he's saying simply that every minister ought to go forth with the expectation of sharing the financial rewards and blessings of the people of God, because he has been a part in obtaining those financial blessings. Did you hear that? That clear in your mind? Because by ministering spiritual truth and light, he has given to the people strength to do. He has taught the principles of God that they might apply. He has given them encouragement when they were down. He held them steady when they were weak. That's his work. And the Bible says that he ought to plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we have sowed spiritual things to you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share this right over you, do we not more? Now read on a minute about transformation of Paul's thinking here. What happens if the people of God do not support the men of God? Then he said, we have not used this right. Endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things that may be done so in my case. But later on, I tell you, in other places, he told those church they should. He's speaking this Corinthian church, who was a stiff-necked church. They didn't want to hear him at all. And they'd gotten way off the track. Even the man took his father's wife. They did nothing about it. And people were going down to the temple prostitutes and laying with them. They did nothing about that. And Paul here is bringing this church back in line. And he warned them. Other church, he said, they've came, they've supplied my needs and met me. You, he said, have not done it. So I don't say it to shame you, but to admonish you. You began to do what you should have done. But he said, I'm not going to force that thing on you. He said, I've got the power, but I'm not going to force it. See? He speaks here. He says, they who preach the gospel shall live of the gospel. Not only for himself, but he said, the ox that treads out the corn, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, should be in that place. Now, there are exceptions to this, because sometimes a man will be sent to a place, and he's over a flock, and there's only one or two or three people there. And maybe other parts of the body don't understand what they should be doing. They're not helping. Now, that's why we have a central fund. Many times we've been able to help out the people of God when Germany was in trouble. I forget what it was we sent them, but it ended up being a total of some sixteen, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 because they were hungry over there in Germany. Now, I tell you, if we had not had a central fund and had not reached out at that time to them, I do not know if the work would still be there. They say, oh, well, they're over in Germany, man. They let them make it on their own. They're our brothers. One member hurt, the whole body suffers with it. One sister hurt, and the whole body suffers with it. We had that money said, here. Say, now, someday they may be able to pay it back, but not because we desire it back. They say, give us our money. No, but simply, if they do give it back and are able to give it back, then we may be able to give it to others. You just keep it there, here, there, here. Ranches have been bought. Ministries have been started. People have been established. Works have gone forth because we've had that availability of money to give. Now we're coming to a place in our ministry where our giving has been rather a structured method. We took from the essential of the communal houses, which most of the work was communal at that time, and we set aside a portion, the tithe. 
and it went to the local body. That tithe belongs to the local body. See? That there may be meat in my house, God says. This whole nation is robbed, he said. Bring your tithes in the storehouse, there may be meat in my house. He's talking about food. Food for those workers there. All right? Now, we have set aside an additional portion, another 20%, the total 30% of the income. Based on scripture, tithes, offerings. There may be in scripture three tithes. We didn't do that. It was simply a method. We were able to do it and we did it. Now, some years ago, about two years ago, New York City, they went through a time where their offering was very low and they asked if they could not do that kind of thing for a time. I said, well, brother, I said, certainly, we're not forcing you to do something you can't do, you feel you mustn't do. But I said, you will not prosper because you are not doing it. You don't do it, you find the income will simply slip down to that level. You won't be any better off, except now you won't be giving either. I said, well, but we'd like to try it. I said, okay, you do that. After three months, four months, five kids called up, and they said, Jim, we're reinstituting your plan that you gave us. So you know all this happened to our income? Simply slipped down, we don't have anything now. I said, okay, put it back into operation. It's going to be a little tough on you for a while, but God will bless you. Well, thank God it wasn't tough on them. I just said that so in case it was, they wouldn't be offended by it. It wasn't tough. God immediately blessed them. They began to abundantly prosper. And New York today is a prosperous ministry with great amounts of funds in their coffers for giving all kinds of things. Carlos just recently been there. He gave him over $2,000 for the work in Guatemala. Abundant ministry. Powerfully prosperous. This is also a prosperous ministry and will continue to be because you've been trained to be generous. But here's the problem. Some people today moving out on their own in their own homes or some people coming to us who have never been under that kind of disciplined thought process have not had that worked in their character at all. And maybe even some of the ones who've been in the communal house of late have not had that principle worked in their system because they did, just didn't know it was being done. Or no one ever really taught them why and how and so forth. They didn't know that, and they were not trained to give. So they move out of their own to keep all the money for themselves. We must now begin to train them, say, no, dearly beloved, when your paycheck comes in, you first fruits set aside to God that which belongs to the house of God and the servants and workers of God. First fruits. Then you set aside offerings beside that and you try to build. Daisy and myself have for some late period of time, we have always given tithes and far more than tithes for many, many years. We have been working along to set an example to the body. We have lately been giving 30% and sometimes more than that as God has blessed us. Now we're not saying this to boast, but saying this to set an example. I said, oh, poor Brother Durkin, you must just really be in real trouble giving all that money. Oh, folks, we are abundantly blessed on every hand. I tell you that for sure. And I tell you, I ask God also here of late, although I can't continue it because I'm going to kind of go through a thing like this. I get 900 a month, and then this month I went out and earned 700 of it back by speaking a few times. See, so I'm doing all this work that I do for $200 a month this month. You know, I say, am I worth 200 a month? Well, in one way, I'm worth nothing a month. In another way, believe me, I'm worth far more than $200 a month. Here we've got brothers like Steve Schrader and Bernie Harrelson, Billy Roy and Tom Peterson and Carmelo Bazzano and Scott and many others that I could mention that have gone up and they worked with their hands and planted trees and 
when Bernie was down south, he worked as a real estate man so he'd be as little possible drain on the ministry as he possibly could be. Others are planning now doing exactly the same thing to release more money to the work of God, not because they do not have a right, but simply they want to be the greatest possible blessing. And yet I tell you, these men and their wives and their children should be held in the utmost honor and esteem for the labor that they have labored among you. They have given themselves unstintingly to the body, gone from their wives for long periods of time. Their wives picked up and gone from their children for shorter, but nevertheless gone, traveling across the country, driving day and night into foreign countries, into jungle places. For what reason? That the gospel of Jesus Christ should be carried out in this earth. Oh, such men and women, let them be held in honor and esteem among us for all generations to come. Let it be if the Lord shall tarry another generation, another generation, and they are gone, let their names be mentioned among us as men who went out and founded this work in every possible direction. I don't mean from the purpose of the great founders of the work, but simply I mean pioneers who gave everything that they had that this work might be established. Now, thank God, others are coming up also. And let them have the same kind of spirit and courage and let them be supported and let them be cared for. That's what this word of God is all about here that I'm ministering this morning. The elders, 1 Timothy, 5th chapter. Verse 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And that word double honor, the translators have had a great deal of difficulty translating it. Because it literally means a double honorarium. One translates it double pay. Another one translates it, let them have double honor and an adequate salary. Because it means both things. You didn't know what to do with it. But in the literal, it means a double honorarium. Now, the next verse makes that clear. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages or his hire. Elders are to be taken care of. Now, there are times I say when a congregation so small cannot maintain an eldership. Well, then let them give according to the plan of God, and as far as it will go, it will go. Let the elders be ready, like every apostle must be ready, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor, to work with his hands and support himself if need be. If no one ever gives you a dime as an elder, you keep right on being an elder. Of course, you have to go out and earn a living then for yourself and your family and take care of it. You haven't supported your own, you're worse than infant, denied the faith, make sure you take care of yourself. But make sure you keep on doing the work of God. Make sure you keep on preaching the gospel. Make sure you keep on taking care of the people of God. And make sure you keep on admonishing them to give and teach them how to give until finally they are abundant, fruitful givers and the whole blessing of God comes upon the body and begins to prosper mightily and then you're able to give. Keep the people giving. Keep they before them the needs of the body of Christ. Keep them in a generous frame of mind. The Bible teaches the principle, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he who sows abundantly shall reap abundantly. And what was he talking about when he said that? He was talking about the New Testament. He was talking about the church that he was ministering to, giving. He said, I want you to give out of your abundance to these saints over here who have very little. He said that out of your abundance their lack may be supplied. He said, for thus it is written, he that had much gave and had nothing left over, so that he had gathered little, had no lack. The principle of giving is a very important principle in Scripture. It must be thoroughly understood and practiced by the people of God. And they need to sit down. I talked to, when we were up in the conference in Portland, I talked to the 
elders and the people who came at that time. I said many times, elders fight together and fuss and fume with each other. Getting that completely rooted out now, thank God, a little of it left, but not much. Fight and fuss and fume with each other because they never sat down and get the purpose straight. Husbands and wives sat down and fuss and fume and fight with each other because they never one time in their whole lifetime sat down and said, what is our purpose for being together? Why are we married? Well, I tell you, husbands and wives ought to sit down and brothers ought to sit down and sisters ought to sit down single and say, how should I give? I want to become a skilled giver. Husband and wife ought to sit down and say, well, part of the purpose that we're married for is to give honor to God. Obviously, we didn't just get married so we get in bed together. Pardon the bluntness. But a lot of people, that's why they get married. No other reason. That's the reason. Then they learn to love after that, thank God, and most of them go on to a pretty good marriage. Good many of them have come back to me three, four, five, six days after they got married, says, all a mistake. We're not supposed to be married. So many of them, I said, it might have been a mistake before you got married. After you get married, it's no mistake. <laughs> Why do you think it's a mistake? He doesn't satisfy me in bed. She doesn't satisfy me in bed. Say, is that what you got married for? Uh-oh, well, uh, uh, uh. No. That's why we try to tell people to get married to God for a ministry. Now say, God will work out this problem. What's our ministry? A part of the ministry is giving. Say, okay. Honey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to earn money. God tells me to support you and I'm going to support you. Maybe you have to work for a while too. Say, yeah, maybe. I'll do it. We're going to earn. And then we're going to learn how to be givers. That's part of it. We're going to learn how to pray. We're going to learn how to fast. We're going to learn how to be workers in the kingdom of God. We're going to learn how to minister the word. We're going to learn how to help others in need. We're going to learn. No, you get people talking, man and wife, talking about that's their purpose. And I want to tell you, that's going to be a good marriage. But many times, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me this, you didn't do this, you didn't say, I want it. You never got the purpose straight. Never sat down and said, why are we together? Because the two of us together can chase 10,000 when one of us apart only one. And if we've been called of God and we have and we're married, now we're going to learn how to do it. And giving's a part of the doing of it. All workers for God must be willing to preach and work. And this is the final word I give to every young man or woman or older man or older woman who thinks you are called to the ministry. You hear this final exhortation. Spite of everything I said about being supported, and I tell you, you have a right to be supported, but Paul said there were times he didn't use this right lest he hinder the gospel. So I'm going to give you a clear word, a final word on this particular subject. Next week I talk about general giving, giving to the poor, giving for many other kinds of things. It's also commanded of God to be done. All workers for God must be willing to preach and work free as they can regardless of these support scriptures. If he is not willing, he has no true understanding of the nature of his call. For the nature of your call simply states freely you have received, freely give. So that means that you never get one dime, not a dime, ever. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. The time will come they not hear sound doctrine. That's true. But you preach the word. And it does not depend on whether somebody gives you a salary or not. Though you are entitled to 
a salary. You are entitled to being supported. But if you will not preach, if you do not get a salary, then the sooner you quit preaching, the better. Because you do not understand the nature of your call. This is why we have followed the principle of working, even for young elders. They must know how. It is vitally important that our elders be trained to work with their hands. It's why I have desired these work projects, so they can learn business principles. It's why I thank God for brothers like George Vaughn, Bob Harrison, Dave Dryling, others who evidently have a gift in this area that take our young men and teach them principles of working with their hands. Because some of them come to us, they never work with their hands at all. And good many of them, sometimes they come in and say, oh, wow, I want to be a preacher because the Levites get supported. Oh, no, 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 no. Let no man ever be in that position of getting supported unless he knows how to get calluses on these hands. Let him know how to think with his head. Let him get it screwed on straight. Let him get his back strengthened up to the labor. Someday he may be out there and there is no support of any kind. When that time comes, say, well, no one is supporting me. I guess I better quit preaching. Let it not be so among us. Let that man be, whether he be 20 or 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever age it is, let him stand up and say, I've learned to work with these hands. And I'll step out in that field and do what I have to do. Let his wife be also of the same caliber. Stand alongside of her husband and say, I'll plant a field with the strength of my hands. I will make girdles with my hands. I will. But keep on preaching. Keep on building. Keep on giving. The time will come if you keep on plowing. The time will come if you keep on threshing. The time will come if you keep on taking care of the people of God. And in time, I tell you, the harvest will be there and the milk will be there and the fruit will be there. And the people will reach out and say, thank God you hung in there with us, brother. Here, 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 here. And wherever you go, we will take care of you. Amen. One recap so that you have these principles down. Two things were clear. Tithing was revealed before the law, incorporated into the law, confirmed by Jesus, spoken of by apostles, and nowhere negated or altered. Also clear in the Old Testament, tithes were for the support of the priests and Levites, and in the New Testament, apostles declared the principle of support for the special workers of God. Apostles first, other workers included by inference, elders also mentioned. There is a danger of reversing the order. They cause some to be broken because of poverty and family. Their ministries might be hindered. Now, the point that I'm making is simply this. It is much easier to remember the person near at hand than the person far away, out of sight, out of mind. Not a scripture, but certainly is correct in many cases unless we are constantly reminded. Paul is there ministering the gospel. We hear sermons every Sunday. We say, okay, I see to give to Paul. He worked today, so we give him money today. Is he going to preach tomorrow? Oh, you mean he only preaches three sermons a week? Oh, I don't know how much we should pay him. Let me see. One hour on Sunday morning, half hour Sunday night, 45 minutes Wednesday. That adds up to two hours and 15 minutes at two bucks an hour. We're going to pay him. Isn't that silly if we think like that? That isn't what he's talking about. He said, I have labored among you. I have sown the seed, I have threshed the grain, I have plowed the ground, I have ministered to the flock, I say. Now it's like an investment. I own some property, doesn't matter whether I'm here or there or where. The property goes on producing. 
was saying that of the people of God. The people of God say, what I receive is an eternal deposit. I don't care where Jim Durkin goes, I'm going to take care of him. I don't care where Daisy goes, we're going to take care of her. Everywhere, see? I don't care where Steve Schrader goes. I don't care where Bernie Harrelson goes. I don't care where Carmelo Mazzano goes. They're wives, they're children. I don't care. Principle we laid down very early, it's important principle. One of our men out in the field is slain in the battle of the Lord. His widow shall be taken care of and honored among us. Don't say, okay, your husband's dead now, so he can't uh, produce among us. So out to the ranch and uh, start in the garden again. Maybe find a brother out there, want to marry, and then you will see where you are at that. Let them be honored among us forever. Let their children be taken care of. Let them be among us without fear. And let us not be too quick to turn them over to the welfare agency. See, there's a place for welfare. But I tell you something, we better make sure that we have honored these women of God who have labored with their husbands and their husbands have fallen in battle. See, lest something fall on us that we are not ready for. But we must not reverse the order. See, like Diotrephes who love to have the preeminence, he said, all the money comes to me, I'm, I'm local here, I, I get all that money. Never mind about those apostles, we don't need them anymore, and we don't receive them, and we don't receive anybody they send. John says, I'll deal with him when I get there. See, let it not be reversed. Apostolic ministries and their companies first, other workers, prophets, teachers, pastors, so forth, are to be included by inference in that mobile work. And then the elders are to be taken care of and let every elder stand up to his duty and make sure that those apostolic ministries are taken care of. And if he does, he will always be taken care of because the apostolic ministry is there to support his hand and the people of God will be blessed and abundantly prosperous because they have been trained to give. Very important. We must make every effort to keep good ministries active. Final thing, a man of God that is a special worker should learn to work and earn so that even if people do not give, he can continue to minister until God opens their eyes to the nature of the sin of greed and unbelief. Now here I say to you, not giving is always based in two areas. Based in our ancient element of fear, I am afraid if I give, I will not have enough money to live on. Not trusting God. Fear is the result of unbelief. The other one is simply this, like Ananias and Sapphira, I do not wish to give because I want the money for myself. And both of these are terrible, terrible things. Let it not once be named among us, become it the saints of God. I say to you once again a principle, do not hesitate to begin giving abundantly. Tithes, offerings, gifts, and in addition to that, taking care of the poor as God lays upon our heart. All right, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Hallelujah. Father, you've helped us deal with a very difficult subject. Not difficult if we were freed of our fears, and not difficult if we were completely freed of our greed and our biases that have been pushed into us by a greedy, unbelieving world, or by a hellish, satanic mind that knew that some of these people of the world would be saved, and here they are, and tried to improperly bias them against the truth of being cheerful givers, generous givers, good givers. Now, Father, I ask you to set them free. Show them, Father, the glorious principle of generosity. 
show them the character building power of giving according to the structure that you have laid down that we are able to carry that out Lord let us give in such a way that our giving is free hearted and without strings and that we trust even as we also desire to be trusted grant that precious father we ask it in Jesus precious name Amen